Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Chad Leistico and Tyler Tashman from the Des Moines Register. I'm coming to you from an open-air portion of the Wrigley Field Press Box, looking at the Budweiser sign, the manual scoreboard out there. Obviously, uh, the field that we saw this game play out on, a 10-7 to Hawkeye win uh, here uh, in the friendly confines. Tyler, uh, a baseball score, maybe a slugfest of a score. Uh, all the points actually coming in the second half. But obviously, you know, Drew Stevens' 52-yard field goal is the winner with 14 seconds left to play. And, uh, you know, if Cooper DeGene's punt return had counted against Minnesota, we would be – the whole nation would be beside themselves. It's how does Iowa keep winning these games? But they are still winning these games, uh, now 7-2 and two and alone atop the Big Ten West. I'll, hold on. I'm going to just turn this around and see if people can – can people see? Can you see that or no? Yeah, I can see that's, it. Yep. That's a view right there. I think you just yeah. got a nice view of my nose over the screen. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, questionable, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a beautiful view. Um, it, it was a cool venue to be at, um, at, at Wrigley. And just yeah. – I mean – probably not the best playing conditions with the the divot near the goal line and all that type stuff, but it was at least like cool to just see everything here. Um, as far as the game goes. Yeah. I mean, I was offense was really bad. Um, Drew Stevens came up clutch. I think Ontario Thompson, uh, the, the punt block that he had second punt, punt block of the season. Uh, he had the last one against Western Michigan that was just massive because it set up Iowa's uh, first touchdown, which Deacon Hill threw and, um, uh, you know, ultimately got Iowa up seven to nothing. And, and then that stop on the, uh, at the goal line that Iowa had four consecutive times, they, you know, Northwestern was on the two to start and Iowa just showed a ton of grit in being able to stop them uh, four times in a row. That was a big point in the game, even though Northwestern ended up scoring, uh, you know, a touchdown later on, but uh, yeah, really clutch from Drew Stevens for him that he missed basically one from the exact same spot earlier in the game. Um, and so uh, to be able to uh, knock that through and basic from basically the same place was um, really clutch. So yeah, it's just really ugly. First half was terrible, but they somehow keep kind of finding a way. So yeah, you know, I kind of want to go backwards now in how we approach this podcast because we the the end of the game was so important for Iowa to to actually put together those winning points. But let's just go to like the feel of what it was like here because um, it was like a bowl game, you know, like a Hawkeye, a pro Hawkeye crowd at a bowl game. It was, it just had a special feel. It was like um, I don't know if what I expected, but it was like. Uh, it was just refreshing. Like there was just so many positive, upbeat, at least before the game, Hawkeye fans 
you know, I'm sure it was stressful during the game and everything, but it was just like, it was just kind of a reminder of after this difficult week of, you know, the offensive coordinator gets, you know, basically removed by the end of the season, uh, a lot of negativity surrounding the offense all year, but still like this whole place, you know, almost 40,000 seats or whatever it holds for football, you know, was at least 30,000 were probably Hawkeye fans. And it's just impressive to see all that and to feel that and to interact with fans here. And, and uh, this fan base is just so powerful and so impressive at times. And uh, that's what, you know, that's one of the reasons I think we, you know, one of the reasons I like to do this job, but it also like is why we keep pushing the envelope on, you know, the offense and, and keep bringing it up because we know you guys want to see something better on that side of the ball. And today was a great reminder that you've got that. All you need is just a little offense because uh, you've got this championship level defense yet again. And the defense is just getting better. Is it not Tyler? I mean, this is a Northwestern team that put up 33 on Maryland, put up 37 on Minnesota. Uh, this Northwestern team has been scoring this year quite a bit. Uh, so the Hawkeyes to hold them to 170 yards and one touchdown on a 22-yard drive is pretty impressive. But uh, your thoughts just sort of on the fan experience and what this was today. A, a road game for Iowa, but not really. Yeah, it felt like um, if Iowa Hawkeyes football team wasn't Major League Baseball team, this felt like a playoff game. Like the, like the type of like Major League Baseball playoff atmosphere where – and it, I guess – Maybe I'm using that analogy because it was literally played in a baseball stadium as well. But like it just felt like that kind of Major League Baseball like playoff kind of atmosphere with a lot of passion. And um, I felt like this game and look, it, it doesn't this win doesn't solve Iowa's long term problems like they still have to figure out who the next offensive coordinator is going to be. Uh, the offense is still if it's not unfixable at this point it's very close to it um but it just felt like Iowa given what the last two weeks have been starting with it was just an emotional two weeks for a time that Iowa didn't even play a game like coming out of that Minnesota game with the controversial controversial call uh it just, I mean, in, in everything the emotions out of that then going into the Brian Ferentz news it felt like things would could spiral very quickly if Iowa lost this game, and instead they they win barely, ugly. But Nebraska loses, Wisconsin Wisconsin loses to Indiana, and um, Nebraska. The Indiana, and then did I say there. Nebraska. Yeah, they lost at Michigan State. Yep. Yeah, and and Minnesota lost. Yeah, so Minnesota lost so at home. Iowa is now in now can control their own destiny to get to the big 10 championship. I know people would debate like, Oh, we just had the Ooh. lights turn out. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> um, now I can't see anything out there except yeah. the Budweiser sign. Yeah. Uh, Got to keep the sponsors. People, happy. I, I know people would debate like, Oh dude, you do want to see Iowa get blown out in the big 10 championship, whatever they can get there now at the least, like by winning out the last three games. So my point is, is like what happened today isn't going to, solve isn't going to wave a magic wand and solve Iowa's program moving forward. Like the problems are still there, but it just, it felt like they needed some tangible like success 
some triumph, some something to feel good about on a game day after what has gone on, not only this season, but this last two weeks. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I mean, this Northwestern team has been fighting hard. This is not a pushover Northwestern team like maybe we thought they would be uh, earlier in the year when they lost their coach and uh, you know, coming off a 4-20 and combined stretch over two years, but they've been competitive. So, so yeah, I totally agree with you on that front. And, you know, I, you know, the way this defense is playing, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say they're going to win the big 10 championship. If they get there, obviously not going to say that. I don't believe that that's probably possible with the offense they have, but I don't discount the fact that they could keep it competitive for a while because, and so that just leads to the point in these next three weeks, can you move the needle some on offense? And I feel like at least let's get to the winning drive. Now, at least on that winning drive, they showed something you get, I think it was a nine yard pass, right. To Nico, right. To, to start the drive. That wasn't so, so Max White returns the ball to the 28. I thought, you know, they could have snuck out more yards on that kick return. Only got to the 28. But they get eight yards on first down to Nico. And I thought that was just huge because that set into motion the fact that Iowa was going to at least give this a shot. Because then they got a makeable first down. You hand off to LeSean Williams and you get, uh, what was it, like three yards or something like that. Let me look it up here. Three yards, you move the chains. And that's when you get the play call that Deacon Hill said they've been setting up all week, working on it in practice. They got the exact look they wanted against Northwestern defense, Northwestern's defense. Caleb Brown, now wearing 81 because Cooper DeGene came in earlier on offense as number three, uh, kind of runs an out cut. Deacon Hill throws a good ball. We had a nice angle on it, right, Tyler? I mean, from where we were sitting, you could see the play really develop because we're on an angle from, from behind home plate, essentially. And I mean, that was Iowa's longest play yeah. of the day. So great execution there to put Iowa somewhat in field goal range. And I mean, going into that drive, I had little to no confidence that Iowa was going to put. Yeah, I was I was field. thinking Ferentz would be like, let's just get the overtime. You know? Like The only time that Iowa scored was on that pump block where they were set up in basically field position that like would have nearly been impossible not to score. Like right. they were yeah. all like 25. Like, yeah. It would have been a you know epic epic proportion meltdown if they couldn't put any points up after the pump block. They do end up getting a touchdown instead of three, but everything else besides that, I mean the, the first few drives were decent. They just couldn't finish them. Like they there was a Deacon Hill fumble, uh, then he threw an interception. Like they, they made a little bit of progress, but basically Going into that final drive, I just did not think that they were going to even get close to putting up points. And credit to Caleb Brown because, and, and we haven't, I hadn't really mentioned him before, but he was a guy that came in, you know, a lot of hype around him, transferred from Ohio State, you know, hasn't really made much of a dent this season. And, and part of that is, you know, you can't necessarily attribute that to one factor it's been quarterback play it's been the wide receivers as a whole it's been the offense uh but he hadn't even had a catch leading into today and uh he had like two two rushing attempts and that was all but um he stuck with it and that catch was uh, just a massive part basically in getting Iowa in field position uh for the uh, field goal so he stayed ready uh and, and I think it's easy to discount you know, cause I was kind of just trying to evaluate during the bye week of like, 
how have I was transfers done? And he was one that you, you look at and we're like, well, there's obvious room for, you know, development and growth, but you know, his value is still there from a long-term sense. Like he's still a really young receiver uh, just because he hasn't produced as much this season doesn't mean that he can't be a contributor in the future. But, and we showed today the, his patience and ability to stick with it really paid off for Iowa in a big way. Yeah. If I didn't mention it before, that's his first career catch. It was a 23 yarder. And then uh, just to kind of cap that winning drive, uh, it was 37 yards. I mean, you know, in a one minute drive, they were still huddling up. So it wasn't like it was like, you know, Tom Brady out there or anything like that. But uh, Iowa was content. W- one thing they did very, very poorly in the first half, as you mentioned, was they got to Northwestern's 32 yard line on their first three drives, got no points out of those drives. As you mentioned, Deacon Hill took a sack uh, to, to drive them back out of field goal range and fumbled. Mason Richmond recovered it. Uh, the other was the interception, as you mentioned. And then the other one was uh, a negative four screen to Leishon Williams that resulted in Drew Stevens barely missing the 53-yard field goal. So those four yards made a big difference. So, so three negative plays in the passing game earlier, I think, really influenced Kirk Ferentz's, uh and Brian Ferentz's play calling there. Once they got to the 38-yard line, they ran it three times to Leishon Williams. He gains three yards on those three runs, but that was – that was Drew Stevens' range today. Uh, he said he would have been good from 56 with no adrenaline. He had adrenaline, and uh, it looked like he he had plenty of room to spare on that 52-yarder uh, into the first row, into the basket uh, of the Wrigley Field bleachers in right field, uh, kind of as I, as I pointed out in my article, like a three-run, basically a three-run home run in the bottom of the ninth inning uh, to win this one 10-7. Yeah. You wrote a hey. By the way, you wrote about Drew Stevens this week, so I want you I to talk about. I want you to talk about Drew Stevens and kind of his, the the meaning that he had for this moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of went into his background leading up to this game, but an interesting story, I guess, in that uh, he didn't even he was really hesitant to play football in high school. He, his favorite sport was soccer. His parents, uh, you know, the freshman team in high school needed a kicker, and his his parents encouraged him to do it. He ended up doing it. And then uh, working with Dan Orner, who is a punting and kicking coach, uh, he, he kicked at the University of North Carolina and just made tremendous progress with him and even got to the point where he was training with Orner and NFL kicker Joey Sly. And Joey Sly basically said, like, Stevens has what he says, a lead, a lead foot, which is like a compliment for a kicker saying it basically like explodes off of his foot. Um, gets the opportunity at Iowa. His mom uh, was born in Iowa, grew up to going to games at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, So just kind of a a really cool full circle moment uh, for him, but also just for him and his mom, but also just the growth that he has made. I mean, it's not like he is, you know, he was a soccer player. It wasn't like he's been place kicking since he was seven or eight or anything like that. So um, the thing, and especially just listening to him after the game, it was like, he just seemed so calm. Like he would, he was just like, he, it, it didn't seem like he just went out there and knocked through a game winning field goal. Like he was just like, yeah, you know, I was my, my, you know, he, I just kind of black out like, and I, you know, run onto the field and run off and, you know, I don't really remember much of what happened during it. So, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously he, 
LeVar Woods in, in what Iowa does special teams. And, and Tory Taylor didn't even have that great of a day today, but just massive in terms of how, you know, its importance for, for Iowa, especially with the state of the offense. There's some awesome three-word headlines, but first I want to answer a few uh, injury questions uh, that we've got kind of lingering. Number one, uh, a viewer asks, did Bo Stevens get hurt near the divot? Uh, great question. Uh, it was in that range, yes. It was a uh, third down play. Uh, obviously, Iowa was trying to work work its way out of trouble. And, um, yeah, he uh, he gets carted off. Um, and Tyler and I and a couple other reporters walked out to where that divot is. I mean, I can see it. The lights are back on, by the way, <laughs> um, here at Wrigley. Uh, maybe they're going to play a doubleheader. I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, it's possible. <laughs> And it was, you could see where the where the the regular grass ended, like for the third baseline, and where they planted grass. But it wasn't even like game. A, it wasn't even like a divot. It was more of like a sand pit. Like yeah. it was like a bunker. Well, I think that's where they threw all the sand to repair. Yeah, but it like, but it wasn't just like this little kind of. No, know, it's like, huge. You yeah. can see it from here where I'm <laughs> looking. But yeah, it was uh, the footing was not good there. So to answer that question, yeah, and Kirk Ferentz did kind of complain about some of the i guess uh lack of amenities the just wasn't he didn't really i don't think he was a fan of of playing here uh, other than the history so that was one question got another question about caleb johnson uh that did not come up in post game uh we had uh really didn't get many questions in today honestly um and that was just not high on our list it's something we'll get to tuesday but he did not play. Uh, I saw him walking out fine after the game. Uh, he wasn't on the injury report. So they just, you know, maybe he was, you know, precautionary or something like that. Could have gone in if needed. I don't know. We, I don't know the answer there uh, unless you do, Tyler. Uh, but obviously, LeSean Williams gets 24 carries, 79 yards. And uh, Jazzy and Patterson, eight carries, 21 yards. So that was the bulk of the running. Iowa finishes 41 carries, 104 yards on the ground. 65 yards passing. And lastly, yeah, offensive line injuries really piled up in this one. Um, Rusty Feth went out at one point. He came back after Stevens uh, was removed for that, for that last drive Feth mm -hmm. was in. Uh, Tyler Ellsbury took over at center from Logan Jones very early in the game. That happened on the QB sneak. Uh, and then Mason Richmond did not play after a couple series. Uh, I – it looked like he had his helmet. Logan Jones did not. So I think Mason still must be battling through some health stuff because Nick DeYoung played left tackle. So, yeah, basically the whole left side of that line was a mess, at least uh, personnel-wise. But they didn't – I didn't notice a huge drop-off, I guess, uh, up front. I thought Tyler Ellsbury did a did a fine job uh, filling in in a tough spot at center. I mean, as Kirk Ferentz says, he touches the ball on every play. Yeah, and I think Deacon Hill mentioned post game that it actually worked out well because they got a lot of reps together in the off season because Deacon was running with the twos while you know while Cade was around. So I think that was also a benefit. But yeah, I mean the offensive line has been able to stay relatively healthy this season. There have been some kind of uh, bumps and bruises, but yeah, I mean that's obviously because of how much I was relying on the run right now because of the state of the quarterback play, basically like that's the, the last three games, you know, how bad those injuries are and how quickly they can get healthy, you know, is going to be important. 
with with a baseball game or a football game on a baseball field with a baseball score, uh, so many great three-word headlines. So let's try to get to some of them here before we head out. Shannon Bisgard, I love this one, fly the W. <laughs> I was hoping they would play like, uh, you know, go Cubs go or something like that at the end, or maybe the organ music in heaven, there is no beer. Uh, we don't want any go Cubs go. <laughs> That's right. Mr. Cardinals fan. Well, actually, Chuck- in fact, in fact, I was actually talking to uh, Drew Stevens dad before the game and uh, he pulled up his like jacket. He was wearing a Cardinal shirt. So he, oh, brother. He, so I, I was like, Hey man, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. He probably, Drew Stevens probably thought he was like Albert Pujols or something hitting into the right field bleachers there. Um, Chuck Harmeyer, it's out of here. <laughs> it was going, going, gone. Uh, God, there's so many good ones. It's going to be hard to pick. You guys have really brought it today. Uh, Dirk Heiler says, uh, welcome home, Caleb. Yeah, first catch, man. Maybe he's kind of acclimating. Maybe I was finding something there. It's just one catch, but it's something. Um, hey, while I look at, while I have a few others, let's talk about Cooper DeGene on offense. What'd you think? Oh, I thought you were going to say talk about pizza that we had. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, yeah. I thought it was good. I mean, they they put him out there for two plays. Yeah. And uh, got 14 yards. Yeah. And no, because they first went the, you know, the kind of jet sweep around. He got, you know, a good chunk of yards. And then they, the very next play, they used him as a decoy. I think like sprinkling, even, you know, I think the the major holdup with putting him in on offense is you don't want him to get hurt, right? But I think that even you could even use him as a decoy throughout the game, like just throw him on the field because it's going to get eyes. So even if you're just throwing him out there for misdirection, you know he can he can help the offense in a meaningful way. Uh, Kevin Kopnick, Drew calls shot. Yeah, I wrote about that leading in. That this is the site of Babe Ruth calling his shot in the nineteen. 19- 32 World Series. Um, so many good ones. Uh, Stephanie Stitcox tore him up, and she puts a photo of the divot repair guys out there. Funny little story. Jay Higgins said uh, urged the officials to address the divot because he was kind of out of gas at one point uh, on a defensive series. So I thought that was kind of uh, good candor from Mr. Higgins, who is uh, just fantastic with the media. Uh, also had a Higgins for Heisman uh, on the three-word headlines. Higgins played great. I'm actually curious, like, who created the divot? Like, yeah, we're going to have to watch the tape. Is that like a Y.A. Blackman divot or, you know, is that a Nick Jackson divot? Or, I mean, we don't – it's kind of a mystery, I feel like. Um, yeah, I'll have to watch the tape on that. I'm not sure. Uh, Jason Divert, sweet home Chicago. I like that. I like that one, Jason. Chris Bryant. Uh, not the slugger from the Cubs, but uh, our con- regularly contributing friend. Dead ball era returns. <laughs> I love that one. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> uh, not much scoring today. Not much scoring. Uh, David Burge uh, from, at Iowa Hawk Blog, very prominent Twitter account. He says, let's play two. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> Uh, media media game is after the regular game. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Beam, I'll finish with this one. All about perspective. Uh, he, he points out it was the sixth highest scoring game in Wrigley this year. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one way to look at it. Exactly. So uh, first place in the Big Ten West, that was, that was another topic. Let's finish with that, Tyler. I mean, heck, four and two in the West. It's not – 
pretty. Just think if Iowa had won last week, though, be five and one right now, mm-hmm. and just almost be a commanding situation. But still, Iowa's got to win out to ensure its trip to the Big Ten championship game. But I think at this point, more than that, it's just about how many wins can this team get? And seven and two, as Jay Higgins said, still pretty impressive. Yeah, it's the defense, and I think it the defense has been so impressed. They the the the, the one touchdown they gave up today, that was their first touchdown in three game allowed in three games. They didn't allow a touchdown against Wisconsin. They didn't allow a touchdown against Minnesota. They didn't allow a touchdown for almost all of the game against Northwestern. And the thing is with Iowa's offense, if Iowa gets down by a lot, then they're not going to be able to come back. But the other side to look at is that Iowa's defense, I mean, it can basically keep them in a game single-handedly if it's playing at its best. Like, it, you know, if, it, if, it, if they keep it, it, you talk about if they get to a Big Ten championship – the defense is going to give them a chance, you know, like it's going to at least give them a slice of hope and, you know, crazy things can happen. So, yeah, it's almost like with the offense, it's almost like how much can I would defy it's like offensive numbers and continue to win. Cause it's almost like, it's almost yeah. crazy how they continue to win with the offensive output. Yeah. Yet another game under 200 yards of offense, yet another game of one or fewer touchdowns on offense, but they, they win it. Uh, I got nothing else. Let's uh, pack up. We got some leftover Malnati's in the in the hotel fridge. Do we want to do a pizza review real quick? You can do it. Yeah, I already I've made clear that Malnati's is my number one here. I know Pequod's is great. Giordano's Chicago version is great. Uh, Tom Caker, I, I believe, said Gino's is his number one. I hope I didn't misquote him on that. But uh, yeah, give us your thoughts. Wait, so what was the pizza we had again? Like, what was the the oh, the Malnati, the Malnati Chicago Classic. Okay. So it had like sausage on it. Lean sausage and yeah, that's Okay. Well, my pizza, my review was that I think I would give it like an 8.3 out of 10. It was, I thought it was really good. We got deep dish and the, one of the things that I liked the sausage, the sausage was really good. The tomatoes were fresh. The thing that actually I thought was underrated, an underrated part of it was the crust. The crust it held up because under all that sauce and stuff, you need something that's going to be able to hold up. It held up, but it wasn't like too thick. Like it, like it tasted, it was still like flavorful. It didn't feel like I, I was like having to chew through bark or, you know, anything like, really <laughs> like that was the underrated part. The one criticism I have, I wish you said, I know you said that they didn't overdo it with the cheese. I like, like load that baby up with cheese. I felt like it could have used a little more cheese. I put some Parmesan on it. Um, yeah, you were I, shaking that thing pretty yeah, heavy, heavy handed. I got that from my grandfather because he used to like, he basically would get lasagna and like dump the entire thing of Parmesan on there. So it was to the point where it was like a whole thing of Parmesan with like a little bit of lasagna on the side. So I, I got to I credit him for that, but I could have used a little more cheese in, in total. I thought it was a really good pizza. So you, it lived up to the hype in my opinion. Awesome. Well, uh, Thank you, Hawk fans, for tuning in. Thanks for turning out. Thanks for everyone who stopped me and others out here today. This It was, it was just a lot of fun. It, was, it really felt like a bowl game and something to be happy about. I know the offense sucks, but we knew it was going to – we know it's not good. So enjoy the wins as much as you can is my advice. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys uh, Tuesday. We'll get some more injury updates and uh, prep for the Iowa-Rutgers game next Saturday at Kinnick. 
hey, maybe Noah Shannon will finally be back. So, anyway, for Tyler Tashman, Chad Lysico, so long from Wrigley Field, where the Hawkeyes beat the Wildcats 10 to 7. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.